Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we go to the National Religious Vocation Conference convocation that took place in October 2016 for a panel discussion with a group of Catholics who are living out their vocation to religious life. I hosted this panel discussion with six members of religious communities who are either in discernment or in formation in front of a live conference audience. We received questions from the audience and also from many people who are watching the live webcast online. The panelists that joined me for the discussion are Sister Celia Ashton with the Carmelite Sisters of Baltimore, Brother Daniel Hernandez with the Crozier Brothers, Sister Judith Marie Udofia with the Sisters of the Holy Family of New Orleans, Sister Kelly Schuster with the Salesians of Don Bosco, Sister Mary Elizabeth Albers, with the Sisters of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, and Sean Phillips, who is a Third Order Marianist. This conversation was taped and webcast live in front of a live audience at the Overland Park Sheridan in Kansas City on December 30th, 2016. Hello! You think you rehearsed this? Thank you! Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm Deacon Pedro from Salt and Light Television. Clap again if you like Salt and Light Television. Thank you. Good. Well rehearsed. Good. It's so good to be here at the the National Religious Vocation Conference in Kansas City. Um, I was going to start by making a bad joke about how I wish I was at the National Religious Vacation Conference. But you guys are vocation directors, so I'm sure you're tired of hearing all those vocation vacation jokes. But being here in Kansas is, is kind of like being on vacation, right? Because there's no place like home. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I'm going to see how many Wizard of Oz references I can get in the next 90 minutes. So, but it's very exciting to be here, um, as I was telling you earlier, because we're in front of a live audience. We're here at the Overland uh, Sheraton in Kansas City, um, in front of a live audience of mostly vocations directors. I hear there's about 300 of you from all over the United States. Canada, anybody here from Canada? We love you, Canada. And uh, any other countries? I understand that there are people here from other countries. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, we also have uh, a lot of people that are watching us online, and that's also very exciting. So if you're watching us at nrvc.net or at saltandlighttv.org nrvc, welcome, thank you. We want you to be able to participate. The people that are here, it's easy for them to participate because they're here. But if you're at home, you can also participate uh, through Facebook and Twitter. So it's very easy if you're on Facebook, open up your Facebook and go to the National Religious... Vo- uh, National Religious... Vocation Conference Facebook page. You think I'd get that right? Um, National Religious Vocation Conference on Facebook. You should be able to watch the, the 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 stream right there through Facebook Live, and you can start sending your comments and uh, questions through Facebook. If you prefer to use Twitter, also National Religious Vocation Conference NRVC. It's at NatRelVocConf. There you go, NRVC. But if you type NRVC, I'm sure it'll, it'll come up. And what I'd like you to do if you're watching from home right now, send us a comment and tell us where you're watching from because isn't it fun to know that there might be people all over the world watching this right now? And this is how we're going to promote religious vocations, vocations to the religious life. So those of you that are here, 
we also want you to participate by, by contributing questions. So um, we have two ushers. They're sitting over here, Tom and Anita, and they will be taking your questions at any time you can call them. They're also going to be moving around, and they will take your questions uh, written down. And then when it's the appropriate time, they will be passing on the questions over to me. So you don't have to worry about anything other than just thinking of that brilliant question that you want us to discuss here. Um, but I think it's probably time that we introduce our panelists. Do you want to meet our six panelists? Very exciting. Um, before we do that, a quick note, those of you that are watching online, remember to use the hashtag called. So those of you that were at the NRVC conference two years ago and you heard my presentation about using media to promote vocations, remember I talked about hashtags? Well, hashtag called if you're doing that through Facebook and Twitter and that way it'll help us organize all those questions. Hashtag called. So let's meet our panelists. We have six panelists from six different religious congregations um, all over the United States, but in fact also beyond. So why don't we start with our first Panelist, all the way from Baltimore, Sister Celia Ashton. Now more than ever, we need well-formed, theologically grounded women and men religious who are poised to lead our church into the future. So Sister Celia is a Carmelite. Where are all the Carmelites in the house? Okay, a little, few little Carmelites. Um, now, um, I, I, at the expense of asking you all these Carmelite questions, I have this urge to get you to want to check my teeth. Open wide. Because Celia, for many, many years, was a dentist, a dental surgeon, I believe. Doctor of dental surgery, yes. Yes. And any similarities that you found between dentistry <laughs> and the Carmelites? Not yet. They're both a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, this was a reference that I actually didn't get, but Mary Sue, Mary Sue Easter eggs. Do you guys know what that is? I, it must be an American thing, because in Canada we, we have uh, other Easter eggs. But to tell us, there's a story about Mary Sue. Who's Mary Sue? So Mary and Sue were my two aunts, one of whom was a Franciscan sister of Philadelphia, and the other of whom is a sister of Mercy. And my grandfather helped start the company and named the candy after his two daughters, Mary and Sue. Wow, isn't it amazing? What a great story. So uh, I guess that's a plug for religious life. <laughs> Somehow. Easter eggs. Okay, thank you. Celia. Good, good, good. Now, our next panelist all the way from Mexico, Daniel Hernandez. I can see that God is still calling a young people to deep their faith and discipleship. Brother Daniel, yeah. Daniel hey. Hernandez. Now you, you grew up, you were born, you grew up in Mexico, but now you're living where? In Minnesota. Minnesota, and you're studying, you're studying, it's a long name, the, the Canons Regular... Or the Order of the Holy Cross. Canons Regular of the Order of the Holy Cross, right with, the, with the cool habit. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Now, um, but you're a computer scientist. Yes, I was. I was a yeah. computer science, and one day I was programming, and see 
how much complicated it is to make something intelligent, computers, uh, machines, and how God is too smart to make us, to make us too intelligent and very complex. That's true, that's true. I was going to ask you because you also like gardening, don't you? Oh, yes, I love that. And so I was going to ask you what's the connection, but there is a connection there about gardening and computer science with what you just described. Yeah, well, I would say gardening is a one amazing thing, how the thing grows without any, doing anything, just put the seed and by itself is growing. Amazing, amazing. Now, what's really exciting for me is that, of course, Daniel is from Mexico, y estoy seguro que tenemos gente en la, aquí que habla español. ¿Dónde están los hispanohablantes? Hispanohablantes, hola. Representando, estamos recibiendo preguntas en español también. Si estás allá viendo por Facebook, Facebook en Spanish es Facebook, um, and Twitter en Spanish es Twitter, um, envíennos las preguntas en español y a ver si podemos también alcanzar a mucha más gente. Claro que sí, vocaciones hay en todo el mundo, independientemente de qué tipo de idioma hablen. Exactly, so that's it, very good, thank you, Daniel Hernández. Now, all the way from Nigeria, via New Orleans, Sister Judith Marie Udofia. Since I'm a lover of music, it's when I'm in the presence of God, just singing and praising Him. Sister Judith Marie so, but Judith Marie is not your birth name. Tell me what your birth name is. Enobong. Isn't that beautiful? And it means? The Lord's gift. Okay, and, and, and the Lord's gift. You're like Mary, because before, before you were conceived, yes. you were already, your, your parents were consecrating you yes. to the Lord. Actually, actually, my mom, after she had my elder sister, she had about three miscarriages trying to have another child. And she said she prayed so much, and she made a promise to God, and she said, the next child you give to me, a boy or a girl, and she stays, I'm going to give it back to you. And after that, I came, and that's why I was named Enobon, which means the Lord's gift. Amen. What a great story. What a great story. So that's just to say that promoting religious vocations begins before we're conceived. Before. Um, now, quick question. Which is better, wrestling or dancing with the stars? <laughs> Actually, I love wrestling. My mom, that was her favorite uh, TV show, and I grew to love it because, and even while we watched the wrestling, we had our fans. And I think that influenced me by having a non-relating spirit and being courageous. That was my mom's favorite show, and she grew to love it. But right now, I love dancing with the stars because I love to dance. Amen. Amen. And you love to sing. So Sister Judith Marie is with the Sisters of the Holy Family. And so I'm sure that there are some here in the house. And also, I know that there are other African sisters here. No? Yes. Make a noise. Yeah, Woohoo! Somewhere. There you go. Back in there. Okay, Sister Judith Marie Udofia. Thank you. Now, all the way from Delaware, Newark, Delaware, Kelly Schuster. I learned about God through art and beauty. 
but nothing would ever prepare me for the beauty of religious life. It's a good quote, Kelly, because you said it. Um, Kelly's with the Salesian Sisters of Don Bosco, and just so that you know, fun fact about me, my, my birthday is January 31st. Hey! Very Feast nice. of St. John Bosco. So I'm kind of like a Salesian in a sense, yeah, yeah. kind of. We'll now, um, but there's another, other similarities because, Kelly, you were a theater major. Yes, I started college as a theater major and ended up as a theology major, which might seem strange unless you know a lot about JP2 and he and I, you know, we got that theater theology connection. And they both start with TH. Yes. That's another similarity. They were right back to back in the course catalog. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, True. and the, the best movie of all times is... It's a Wonderful Life. Don't you Clearly. love that movie? It's a Wonderful Life. So if you don't think It's a Wonderful Life is a good movie, you can leave now. Um, <laughs> nobody actually, we asked them what their favorite movie was and nobody said The Wizard of Oz. So No, that's true. But when I was little, um, I used to pretend I was Dorothy, and my sister tells me that's the only name I would uh, answer to. I don't remember this, but she clearly does. But you're in Kansas now, so... so it works. <laughs> well, your shoes aren't red. Anyway, Sister Kelly Schuster, thank you. And from right here, the state of Kansas, Sister Mary Elizabeth Albers. I love this twofold movement of, of really that stability, that um, it's, it's the way that Christ chose, and, and so it will always be there in the church, but at the same time, we're called to go out. So Sister Mary Elizabeth is with the sisters, again, long name, sisters of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, S-O-L-T, salt, which is kind of like salt and light. So that's, there's, there's a connection there somewhere. Um, you're an English and mass communications major, so you know all about this that we're doing here right now. Sure, yes, yeah. It's been a while, though, I it's will say. When you're out of it for a little bit, you, you tend to right. lose touch with the latest. But technology. you also played basketball in college. I did, yes. Tell me about that. Um, I wasn't going to, but I ended my high school career just not quite the way that I wanted to. And it turned out to be one of the, the greatest experiences of, of just team and actually... Of our team, four entered religious life. Go figure. Amazing. Yeah. There you go. Sports. Yeah. Promoting vocation through sports. There, there's <laughs> something go. there. Right. And you were also a missionary in Belize. That's correct. Tell yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, after I graduated college, um, maybe I was putting off getting a real job for a while. Or I also think there was, there was that call to mission. Um, and so my brother strongly recommended um, just really going out and experiencing other cultures. And so yeah. um, I went down there to teach for two years. There you go. And look mm -hmm. at you now. Amen. Who knew? Who knew? Sister Mary Elizabeth, thank you very much. And last but not least, from all over the place, because this young man was an army brat, Sean Phillips. I was going to say Philip Sean. Sean Phillips. It's not only a vertical relationship with Christ, but it's also a horizontal with the community. That's okay, I'm not going to ask you why you're wearing a bow tie, but it, it's a real bow tie. He actually tied it himself, so if anybody wants to know how to tie a bow tie, 
talk to Sean. He's doing work, workshops, workshops afterwards. After, yeah. Afterwards. Now, Sean, you, uh, so you Army Brad, you grew up all over the United States. Yes, sir. Where, so, where have you lived? I have lived everywhere from Alaska to Washington, D.C., New York, Nashville. What's the coolest place you ever lived in? See, a lot of people ask me that. And honestly, all of them have been really cool. Uh, just they're so culturally different. And even within the Catholic faith, too. Uh, something I've noticed that Catholicism in Nashville is very different than in D.C. or yeah. Alaska. Uh, so I, all of them are my favorite. <laughs> and you lived in Kansas at, at somewhere at some I point. I did, yeah. Life. I lived here twice, actually. I was born in Manhattan, Kansas, and then my dad also, uh, we were at Fort Leavenworth for right. a year. Yeah, and, and earlier in the day, uh, Sean was trying to convince me of the merits of techno music. <laughs> um, uh, because on the side, he's a DJ. Yeah. So, what is that? People don't know what a DJ is. So, <laughs> so it's sort of like being a musician or a composer. So I like to put together uh, electronic dance music, also known as EDM, um, but I like to mix it all together. So something that's so beautiful about EDM for me, especially with DJing, is that compared to like playing a three and a half minute song, setting up, whatnot, you can play for an entire hour. Um, so there's a fluidity to it, uh, which is why I love it. Uh, and it keeps me upbeat, upgoing, uh, it gives me energy. Well, that's good so. because you're not upbeat at all, <laughs> or outgoing, or hyper. Thank you. That's why we're sitting him at the end. Our panelists. So a quick reminder, this one's for you. A quick reminder, if you're watching online, you can send questions anytime. If you're here in the house, you can also be writing questions and just waving at, at, uh, at our ushers and passing on those questions. You don't have to wait for us to start discussing. I'm sure you might have some questions. If you're sending the questions online, remember to use the hashtag called, which is where I want to start because, so I'm a permanent deacon. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, that'll be the next webcast. We'll talk about vocations to the permanent diaconate. Um, but everybody asks me about the call, you know, the call. And I know it's this huge question, but maybe get a sense of how did you know that tug? You know, people talk about the tug. People talk about the, the how did you know, Sister Judith Marie? I mean, other than the fact that your mother already kind of set you yes. on that, yeah. on the yellow brick road. <laughs> um, but, but, but tell me about the, how did you know? Yes, um, even though my mom told me about her experience, I often told her, Mom, that was yours. I need mine to be convinced. And even though I knew God was calling me, but I wasn't just ready for it. And I guess when the time came, I had my own experience. And actually, it was in my quiet time after my prayers. And it was so loud. It's like I heard a voice say, I am calling you, and I'm sending you on a mission. Okay, but let me interrupt you, because is that, that's not everybody's experience. I, 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 would, I, I love it, but I, 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 didn't, I didn't hear any voices, <laughs> trust me. Um, any other experiences that were slightly different, Sean? So for me, I really relate to Peter in the Gospels, uh, because it took a lot of time smacking me around uh, before I came to realize. Uh, and what I also noticed with that is there is an ordinariness um, yeah. to feeling that tug. Uh, it wasn't a big flash of light like right. Paul, um, but it was just small little moments where I found myself being energized, yeah. having life. And can I just say that Sean is still discerning? He's, 
He's a lay, tell us what, you, so, so a third yeah. order Marianist. So I'm a lay Marianist, and uh, it's a third order, sort of like a secular Franciscan or a Carmelite. And just as a lay person, I have taken on the commitment to trying to live out the Marianist charism in my own life. Uh, that being said, I am a contact for the Society of Mario, the Marianist. Okay. And what that means, uh, so we have the novitiate and inspirancy, but before that, what we also have is just a uh, contact. And I'm just in intentional conversations with the Marianist about the possibility of joining. Right. So, which is great because <laughs> they're over there in the corner. But yeah. I guess that that also brings up the fact that there there might not just be one call, right? Did you want to share something about that, Celia? You know, I think the most important thing that I'd want to share is that I think the call is specific to each person. So God yeah. gives each person what it is that person needs in order to respond generously. Right. And so I had an experience uh, very similar to Sister Judith Marie. You know, I made a very big change in my life yeah. and, uh, and really did have a, a very intense prayer experience that made me feel like yeah, I'm supposed to be a Carmelite. Right. But yet I can also say that all throughout my life, you know, God was calling me very gently, very gently, but it got to the point where I needed more of a breakthrough. Yeah. Now, earlier in the day, we were talking, but I know all of us were talking because of our keynote speaker this morning about that, conf can I say confusion, between discipleship and the call, call to religious life. How, how did you know that it wasn't just that healthy call to holiness that we, that we all should be responding to? Um, I think for myself, it's because I had all of those, those pieces already. You know, okay. I felt I was a disciple. I was uh, living in a volunteer community, so I had a sense of community. Um, I was working at Don Bosco Cristo Rey High School, so I knew the Salesians. So I had the charism. I had the community. Um, I had a faculty that respected me, you know, but there was something that was still missing. There was right. something that was calling me deeper still. Now, for those of you, I'm looking at you just because you might be one of the ones who's, who's been in a religious community longer. Um, I don't know how long you've been in. But um, uh, was there a confirmation once you made, have you made your final vows? Well, uh, tell me about that, that, the knowing for sure, the coming, sure. the no place like home. Um, <laughs> I have an aunt named Dorothy. Yeah. Actually, and I'm from here. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think for me, like uh, Celia and, and Sister Judith, I had an experience of a call. So, so our founder would often tell us, like, when you're struggling, go back to the to times of consolation. Go back to the times when you knew that the call was there. And um, I would say it was specifically in the most difficult times that I was more and more confirmed in it. Because it was right. even during those times that I, I just knew, like, I'm not supposed to be anywhere else. And that this is actually going to be the, the path to holiness and, and the path to um, to really being who I'm called to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I share a little, quick little story? Because I had a very similar experience with the permanent diaconate. Of course, I have called to married, married life. I've been married for 21 years. Um, but the day before my ordination, I couldn't even walk in an alb. Like, I kept tripping, and I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm never going to be able to, to... The day after, it, it seems so ridiculous. But the day after, it was like I've been wearing an alb investments all my life. Like, it was just like, it was, it was a coming home very much. Um, I want to go back to something uh, Brother uh, Daniel said to us earlier, um, I think over lunch, and you were talking about, because now I want to talk a little bit about that discernment. Once you, you get the call, you struggled because you felt that you couldn't even share with your family what you were going through. Yes, this, this is true. You know, when we start being disciples of Jesus, we feel that love, we fall in love with Jesus, 
But when you are the only member of your family, it's very hard to move forward when your parents say, what are you doing? You are going to live at the church. You need to have the room there already. So really, it's something that we, I struggle. And you know what I did? Sometimes I knew that they request, they encouraged me to pray every day, do my prayer every day. And I was so ashamed to pray with my family. So I wait until almost midnight. So <laughs> everybody was sleeping. I said, anybody's here. So, and then I put my candle and start doing my prayer. No? So, but this is our first challenge. Work with our family, evangelist, evangelizing them. Evangelize them. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. But eventually, we evan evangelize them, not with our words. But with, with our deeds. Yeah, with your actions. How, how about the reverse? Did anybody have an experience where, in fact, it was your family that was somehow evangelizing you, not preaching to you? Well, my mother preached to me a lot, but, but just uh, that, th kind of that, the other side. And in a way, maybe you also had the same experience, but... I mean, I would say my family definitely... I grew up in a culture where I have an older brother that's a priest. Um, and so um, I think... They, they definitely fostered vocation. And I would often get asked, like, oh, are you going to be a sister? And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> like, I don't think that's how that works, actually. Um, but, but they um, would just put forward little, little things like, oh, doesn't, doesn't Father so-and-so look so happy? You know? And, and they weren't pushy about it whatsoever. Right. But just it was the culture of, um, like, this, this is a beautiful vocation, and it's, it's possible. That like, even before your brother was a priest and for the rest of you, did you, what was the conversation about religious life or ordained life, was that normal in the family? Dinner conversation, I want to go to university. Oh, maybe you can be a sister. Well, it, it was normal for me. And like Sister Kelly said, I was involved, you know, in the youth ministry in my parish. I was the RCIA director in my parish. And so when I had this experience, I didn't really understand what God was calling me for because he said a mission. And in my heart, I was saying, what is this mission? I didn't understand that it was still religious life. In fact, I thought I had escaped it. And I asked God for a sign. And after a month, I had a call from a sister friend who was on mission in my city, who had left uh, Nigeria and came to the U.S. She called me one month after that experience. And I wasn't talking with her for about 10 years. We were not in contact. And that was a big shock. It was when I came here, she told me how she got my phone number. Yeah. And when I got the sign, and after she called me and she, we exchanged greetings, the first thing she said to me was, Enobong, do you still want to be a sister? Yeah. And I was quiet, and she said, I'm talking to you. I said, I'm surprised. Is it possible? She said, yes, it is possible here in America. So for me, that was clear as crystal. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about the, the, the family because your brother, Sister yes, Judith, but you also have a brother who's a priest. Yes. Um, so there's, there's clearly, and I know you know this because this is your, your business, but you know, the influence that families have in fostering vocations. T tell me more, somebody tell me more about this, Sean. So my family, we never actually talked about it in a, have you thought about being a priest? Have you thought about being a brother? But very much... God bless my parents, they've really created a domestic church. Uh, I felt like my house was a Catholic bookstore at half the time. 
uh, because there were crosses everywhere, there were rosaries everywhere. Um, my family was really committed to the faith, and I think that was the witness for me. Right. Um, I still remember we just moved to Washington, D.C., and we had this major snowstorm, and my dad, he was like, get into the four-wheel uh, suburban, we're going to mass kind of thing, and it ended up being one of the days where the bishop archbishop at the time had canceled mass and we ended up being like one of two families at the church um but that was the commitment that my family had uh i can think back i think i've only missed mass once uh in my entire life it was i got sick on a palm sunday i remember that um but that was the commitment that they had and we prayed the rosary together um every sunday night uh so it was that kind of environment uh that i think gave me that fertile ground to eventually have seeds planted yeah. uh, from priests, from other religious, um, from disciples for Jesus. I would say something that I experienced in my own family. My family we were small, four members, my parents, my sister, and I. So it was very hard to start this process of discipleship. But in 2010, my parents, they lose my sister. My sister passed away in 2010. And then when I came with this feeling, the call to give my life to the Lord and to work 24 hours for Him, and they say, really? So, and they really uh, struggle with that. They say, what, what God wants for us, from us? First take our, our daughter, and now He's taking you. So, what He wants mm -hmm. for us. Yeah, that's, I guess that's, yeah. Um, I would like to say, though it was normal for me, not just my brother being a priest, I also have cousins who are priests, and I have a cousin who is a nun. But I want to say for families, because right now we have the challenge of broken families, I want to say there is still hope that the parish can be a family background for people to foster vocation. And in fact, it is the parish that we have as a hope for those who, do, who are not blessed like we are, you know, to have religious in the family as being normal. You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour taped live at the National Religious Vocation Conference Convocation in Kansas City. I'm Deacon Pedro, and I'm speaking with a panel of Catholics in religious communities. Okay, good. We're going to take some questions from the audience because I see Father Toby over here. He's got a stack of questions. Tom, stack of lots of more than we can handle. Thank you. Um, uh, again, a reminder, those of you that are watching online, send those questions in, Facebook, Twitter. A uh, special welcome if you're watching us at nrvc.net. And an even more warm welcome if you're watching at saltandlighttv.org. Um, nothing, no preference there, absolutely. Um, oh, wow, lots of questions. Um, well, why don't we start here? There's a question for any of you. How do you handle a call crisis when you might doubt yourself. Anybody experience all these confident people? When you have a crisis in that, in, in that call, Celia? I think for me, I have to always go back to my relationship with Christ. What got me here in the first place? Um, being honest, being able to go into a formation meeting and say, I'm really not sure. I'm struggling with this. I think the more honest we can be that we're not putting on airs, the more people can help us and the more we can just allow God to continue to work in us to, to help us to get the confirmation that we need to get over that hurdle. And, and I would say that having a crisis, you know, the more that you have, the better you get at negotiating them. Mm -hmm. It's not that they ever go away. 
you know, yeah. but you just gain the skills and people that are helping you walking with you are helping you to gain those skills to be able to negotiate these tough times. And sometimes God pushes us along through crises, don't, doesn't he? Because of the crisis. Um, I, I know it seems to me that all of you have lots of support from your family, um, but there might be people out there who don't have support from their family. So what advice would you give to that person who feels the tug, feels the call, is doing all the right things, but, but is not supported by their family? I would say, um, you know, we never know what we can do for our families and that we can be missionaries to our very families um, by following God's call in our lives. Good. Anybody else? Mary yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. I'll, I'll like to say to someone who doesn't have the backing of family, and I think if you are patient with yourself and you're prayerful, God will lead you to someone you could talk to. It could be your church, in your church, your parish church, uh, somebody you feel you could talk to, and that person can be, you know, a source of help and encouragement um, to you. But God will always present somebody you can confide in if he's interested in you. Yeah. There was a specific question about uh, being involved in volunteer work, and I know some of you have. Did, did that experience of volunteer work uh, help you in your discernment or, or I guess focusing on that call to religious life? Yeah. I would say, well, for myself, for sure, because I really didn't have an inkling until I went down to do mission work that I had a call at all. Um, but I think I see kind of like, I guess, three things that were present there. It's sort of like when Jesus talks about like preparing good soil for the seed, um, that there, were, there, was, there was prayer, there was community, and then there was um, service. And so I'm just the, the prayer that was present um, that, you know, it was, it was community life and you could, you know, um, pray, morning prayer with the community. You could make holy hour every day and um, mass and confession was so available. Like it just was this great seedbed for being able to hear the voice of God. And then I think the fact that it was in a culture where I was a bit unplugged to um, mm -hmm. outside of kind of my comfort zone right. helped me to kind of really look to the Lord for, okay, you know, you got to help me. <laughs> what, what is what do I need to do? Um, and then community, for sure. Just being able to have, like Celia was saying, um, that honest conversation about, about life and about discipleship and growth and everything that's going on. And then service. Like, I just, I don't think you, uh, you know, uh, Gaudium et Spes says, man only finds himself in a sincere gift of self. That, you know, it's like the, the Dead Sea, if it's only coming in, but it's not yeah. going out, like, how can we really find our authentic purpose in life. So like all of those things were very present there and mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was just the seed where I could hear, you know. Yeah. Hear the now, I'm assuming that most of you are younger than me. Um, so this, <laughs> you might be more in touch with young people. So there's a very specific question here. Uh, what do you think is the common reason young people today are not attracted to religious life? Well, I would say one thing. It's not attractive because we don't talk about that, about God. We don't invite them. We don't I would say sometimes as a religious, we think that we are waiting on the door, come on, come on, but we don't go out to encounter them. Sometimes it's just became close to them and ask them, how is your life? How, how, what are you doing? How God is in your life? So make a relationship with them is the first step. Yeah, Before really talk about a vocation, just start with some kind of relationship, friendship, and they will feel more comfortable to talk about their life and even go deep in their spiritual. And joy, I mean, you look at these, aren't they the most joyful people you've ever seen? <laughs> like, you know, like, 
no more needs to be said, right? Joy, that joy that is, is, this joy of, is the joy of the gospel. And there's an authenticity to that too. Uh, Pope Francis talks about in the joy of the gospel is that when you have an authentic witness of the gospel, yes. it has meaning. And I work, I do young adult ministry at the parish in Indianapolis. And yeah, the reality is that especially millennials, we're not in the pews. Uh, so mm. you have to go out to them. Uh, something I loved from uh, Father Tom Rosica's talk last night, uh, he's talked about with the Jesuit spirituality and how that's influencing Pope Francis. He's looking at the peripheries. And by going through their door, we come out of our own. And I think that's so valuable uh, for all of you and your ministries, for anyone's ministry, honestly, in the church right now with millennials and younger generations, is that you need to create a culture of encounterment, of authentic witness that gives meaning. Because the reality right now is that our society, the secular society, is giving us a counterfeit and giving us distractions. And what we desire, our deepest thirst, is to have meaning and purpose in our lives. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately comes with having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to think strategically and holistically of human formation and formation of disciples uh, to eventually get to that point of saying, how is God specifically calling you with your gifts right. to serve the greater purpose? Right. And the great story, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I would like to add, because I'm dealing with young people, I'm teaching uh, teenagers, uh, like um, some of us have said, uh, the contact, the relationship is very important. We need to stoop low and identify with the young people what interests them, the media, sport, games, movies, making movies that can, you know, portray God's calling people, those areas, meeting them where they are, and, you know, having a relationship because that's what impacts their life. There's a lot of distraction out there, and sometimes they look at religious life as boring. You know, we need to live out our religious life with joy, and, and the young people, they see this, and they want to have what we have. You know, not a moody kind of uh, religious life that, that's not going to attract any young uh, person. So our witness, the love, our kindness that we show and how we relate to them. And I like it so much when uh, my students, they could ask me anything, they could talk to me about their personal lives. Exactly, that's where it begins. And with that, we can, you know, get to touch them. Now, this is an excellent question here that I would like uh, many of you to, if you can, um, answer. Did you ever feel that when you were called, you felt the call, but you felt that you weren't good enough, not holy enough, not spiritual enough. Did you struggle with that? Did any of you, maybe you still do. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, uh well, I will say something. When, when we started this pathway, this way of life, the first thing that we have in our mind is our sin. What is what we are carrying? And sometimes that sin is make us more uh, struggle this way of life. But eventually, we got that consolation that God is still loving us. Even whatever we did in the past, he's still calling us, he's still loving us, and he wants us, he wants us to be his instruments for spread his war. Right. No, I would just say, you know, I love Pope Francis in this because um, it's all about mercy. That No one merits the calling. None of us no, are good enough worthy, yeah. um, for any of our vocations. 
um, whatever they may be. And I love his motto, you know, like he, he looked at him through the eyes of mercy and he loved him. And it, we're all called every day to say like, Lord, I am not worthy, you know, to receive you under my roof. And so um, I think the more we can be grounded in that, the better off we are anyway. Yeah, um, a quick question. Uh, how long in terms of, you know, getting that call to the point where you're at now, I guess, or entering the community, uh, that process, more or less, some, somebody is wondering timing, you know, how long does this discernment process take? I guess it, it, it varies, right? Uh, yes, and I, I thought the greatest gift God ever gave me was his patience. Um, <laughs> because I first seriously started thinking about this when I was a senior in college, um, but I didn't enter for another three years. I, I taught for three years after that because of a, of a lot of fears of uh, what life was going to be like, what people were going to think of me. Um, but Jesus is, he's the perfect gentleman, you know, mm -hmm. and he'll never push you further than you're ready to go that day. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it took some time. And that actually ended up being a great grace because I feel like I did a lot of my um, second guessing before I even entered so that by the time I entered, I was like, all right, great, let's go. I'm ready. But you were a senior in high school like last year. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> She's... Yeah, I get that all the time. Parent-teacher conferences, hilarious. I mean, look at me. I look like I was a student already. Yeah. Anyway, um, similar question that we got for, for uh, Brother Daniel, but for you, because there's so many African-Americans who are Catholic, yet so few in leadership. Not necessarily in religious life, but in leadership. So what can we do to encourage vocations among the African-American community? I think uh, we can initiate programs that can bring young people together and then have them have an encounter with religious, uh, not necessarily um, spiritual programs. I mean, spiritual programs could be part of it, but, you know, just to socialize uh, with them, invite them to visit us in the convent and see what that life uh, is like. and. Uh, also, you know, having a relationship, initiating a relationship with them. They really need to be encouraged about this because, you know, they have, there's a lot the world has to offer them. And, and in fact, speaking, honestly speaking, religious life is not always the first choice. Right. It wasn't for me. It's not always the first choice. And so uh, we need to work with young people gradually and sowing seeds, seeds of love and seeds of compassion and mercy. And in whatever way we can touch their life, that is enough and God will take care of, you know, the harvest. Right. Amen. Um, here's actually two very general questions, but I think they, they go well together. Um, there, and there might be some, some people, younger people at home wondering, you know, discernment, like when I'm, when I'm choosing a career, do I, the discernment that you do for going into dentistry or biochemistry or computer sciences or theater, uh, mass communications, DJing, um, is it the same? And, and the second question is kind of, well, well, then what's the difference between a career and a vocation? Can you talk a little bit about that, Celia? A career answers the question, what do I do? And a vocation is who am I, and specifically who am I in the light of Christ? And when we're gonna talk about discernment, discernment is always about allowing God into that conversation. 
So whether it's, you know, for me, dentistry was a wonderful profession. It's an incredible career, but it was not a vocation. Um, but I think discernment can be applied, as we learned the other day, between any two good things. And so you, certainly I had to discern between my life as continuing my life as a dentist or becoming a Carmelite nun. Um, Could you do both? I guess not as a no, well, not, you can, well, not as a not Carmelite. As a Carmelite. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but you could have joined a different. I guess that's yeah. a whole other sure, conversation in terms of being called to contemplative life. Right. Um, t tell us a little bit about that then. That because that's a that, is it a call within a call? How would you describe the difference between the call to religious life versus the call to let's say a missionary life or a contemplative life? Right. Well, I think it is a specific call, whether it is to be a missionary or whether to live as a contemplative nun. Um, so I think that has to be discerned, and that. You know, for me, I actually started discerning with the Sisters of Mercy because it seemed like it would be a great fit. I knew so many of them. They have actually journeyed with me through my entire, uh, my entire life, and they have supported me at every, at every crossroad. Um, and so I actually started discerning with them. They're a fantastic community, but God was calling me to something else, and it was very apparent to me and to them. Um, and so when you know that, you, it's easy to kind of just walk in that, in that direction. It, it's right. not a big question mark. Yeah. Do you want to say something? Yes. Um, I think discernment is an ongoing process. Even in our career, we need discernment. Because I've seen people um, in one career, and they're not fulfilling it, and they're going to another one. As, and so I'm saying discernment is, should be a part of our life. And in everything we do, we need to discern. Uh, whether it's a career or a vocation, discernment is in Every because I feel God has put people in places like we have medical doctors who are there to help serve our life, and you have to discern if you have uh, the charism for service and how you can pursue that career. So discernment is in every step of our life. Right? Is there? A, would you say that there's a? I don't know if this is the right way to say, but a hierarchy to that discernment. Like before you even start considering religious life, do you have to consider that maybe you're called to a celibate life? Like with that, you know, like those, those vows, poverty, chastity, obedience, would you have to discern that first because maybe it's single life, maybe it's ordained life for you guys? That's a really good question. Uh, and something that I, for myself, actually had to work through and still continuing to work through. Uh, something that I realized was important for me was that I have a passion and a love for the Catholic Church and a call to serve it. And uh, with particularly the idea of celibacy too, uh, which there's something so beautiful to it that, uh, and there's a theology that's so beautiful behind it. And I remember uh, there's a book I read because I'm an intellectual and I love to wrestle with theologies and all. And one of the things, I, I read a book on uh, theology of celibacy and what the author was arguing was that celibacy provides the radical availability to serve the church. And that resonated with me. And I still remember that uh, actually there's a priest, a uh, diocesan priest in Indianapolis who said, Sean, I see that quality being life-giving for you. Again, the importance of community and helping identify the gifts. Mm -hmm. But what I came to realize, though, in sort of that hierarchy is that no matter what, at the end of the day, especially for me right now, I love the church, and I love Jesus Christ, uh, the groom. And that's ultimately where I'm called to serve. And But yeah, the, I think there's an, an importance to recognizing what are your, what are your values. What it is, yeah. And I would say that, that 
the call to live in community is, is also something that you have to, I mean, you're not being called to be a hermit. Well, maybe you are. Um, so how, where does that fit in? You know, at some point you have to say, not just I want to live in community, but I want to live, or I feel called to live with this particular community. Anyone? Sister? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I don't find my story very helpful because my call to religious life came simultaneously with my call to this specific community, but it was afterwards that I had to say, okay, you know, like, um, through thick and thin, if, you know, if everybody else left, am I still called to, mm. to this particular community? And just along the way, just more and more confirmation. Um, and I think in regards to the call to I mean, you break it open afterwards, you like look at it, but it was a, it was a mystery as you're going through it, right? You're just, you're just going through it. But um, for me, it was always this, this call to be a spouse. Like I knew I was called to belong to another entirely. I just always thought that that was going to be in marriage. Um, and so as I began to see that, no, I think, I think Jesus is calling me to, to give my, my whole self to him and to let, you know, his children be those children that I desire so much and to, to mother um, souls in grace, um, then it was kind of like, oh, it all kind of fit together, you know, mm -hmm. but at the time you're just sort of walking through it. It's not like right. you're thinking all these things. Oh, that's what this is. And yeah, yeah. Sean wants to take the microphone away from you. It's talking about community because the Marianists, we always emphasize community so much. Whenever I hear it, I kind of throw up a C. Um, but it, I think that is really important, though, is because each religious community also has a charism to it. And yes. something that's really important is understanding how your vocation, your story fits into the great story of salvation, but then as well, looking at it, uh, how does your religious family's story, whether it's with the Marianists, with their devotion to Mary, or the Trappists who are more contemplative, how does your story fit into the great story of salvation, to that, char that charisma, that good news? So I think that's something really important to look at when you're uh, looking at vocations uh, and looking at different communities. Right. Now, just changing gears a little bit, what would you say to people who challenge you and say that, that religious life is not relevant today? Maybe it was relevant 500 years ago, but not today. What would you say? Don't, yeah. Well, <laughs> Very polite, know. yes. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I would just say, you know, it's, it's it's the life that Jesus chose for himself. And if Jesus is relevant today, then religious life, I mean, it's, mm. it's right at the heart of the church. And, and that doesn't change. It's, it's really, it's an anticipation of what we're all called to live in heaven, which is that total gift to the Trinity. Um, and so I'd say that probably is going to be relevant until we're in eternity. So. Yeah. Did you want to add to that? Uh, sure. I was just thinking, I guess, more specifically for our, our own charisma as Salesians. I mean, we work solely with young people. There are always going to be young people, and there are always going to be young people right. in need. So our vocation, I don't think, will ever not be necessary. Okay, we have about five minutes just to do a quick, and I do want to get some, some kind of concluding questions. But quickly, one of these is, and this came from Carol, who's watching from Chicago. And she's specifically talking about Vision, the magazine, I guess, um, Vision Vocation Guide. Uh, but I guess it's a larger question as to, you know, guides that are out there, whether it's websites or through social media, did, do you find those useful in discovering, discerning, uh, no? Well, Vision, I was saying guide. something like... Yeah, well, you, my, you, you said yeah, that you went online. You know, you felt, I am from Mexico. How I come, how come I, I'm here in the United States? So, uh, in my community, one of the... Um, the director of vocation, 
he started to work in, in Facebook. So actually, Facebook is one of the media that helps us to be close to that community in some way behind the wall and having no security. I don't want to, to give myself a, a, at all in the beginning, but this is the first encounter that I give with them and they say, you know, we are, ha we are going to have one encounter in Mexico. They say, how come? So I, uh, I would say I didn't meet them, but I was too, I was very uh, happy or very encouraged to meet them and see who they are, who they are. And, and having this kind of spirit of mission, they say, God is calling me to be there in the church and do something amazing for them. Yeah. Okay. So not only vocation guides, vocation publications, but social media. There you go. Um, and cast the net wide. And being a millennial who's scared of commitment, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But ultimately, again, from it's the relationships yeah. um, that will eventually. solidify eventually. Yeah. Uh, so. But yeah, honestly, if you are like me, who's scared of religious at times, like go ahead and look online. Uh, there's plenty of information yeah. out there. Yeah. That's great. So just in conclusion, conclusion, collusion, concluding, um, what advice do you have for vocations directors in their very difficult job of, of getting vocations quickly? Keep Jesus at the center of it all. And remember that Jesus is the person whom you are encountering uh, with every person that comes into your office, your church, etc. Amen. Anything else? Live your life as joyfully and as authentically as possible. Amen. You want to say something? Because you was, do this. I would say, remember their own vocation, how, became, how excited you were in your early age and sharing with the youth people. Amen. I just want to say, um, keep your focus and trust on Christ and be open to receive whoever God sends you. And also um, being able to relate more uh, with younger people. Uh -huh. Anything else? No? no, I was just gonna say, I should probably be listening to the advice for vocation directors. Yeah. But um, <laughs> no, I do think that, you know, um, that, that relationship with Christ and um, like as we grow in our own discipleship and our own discernment, um, every day, continual conversion. Yeah, great. And maybe lastly, um, there's someone watching right now who feels a tug, who's discerning, who's struggling, who maybe doesn't have support. What advice do you have for that person? I would say every time I um, kind of felt a tug and didn't follow it, um, it never led me to where ultimately I want to be. And so when I finally followed uh, kind of that gut feeling or that tug from God, however you want to call it, um, while, yes, there are struggles, ultimately it leads to peace and joy. So go for it. Go for it. That's it. That's the final advice. Thank you. Thank you so much. We knew that this was going to happen, that we were going to get to this point, and there's so much more. But the beauty about being here at this conference is that we still have couple hours and tonight and these conversations will continue. Our panelists are here. You can talk to them. If you're watching online, you can keep sending those questions because if you have questions, NRVC has the answers. So just, just keep sending those questions through Facebook or Twitter, National Religious Vocation Conference. Um, thank you to our panelists, Celia Ashton with the Carmelites, Sister Celia, Brother Daniel Hernandez, with the Crozier Fathers, brothers, brothers, um, Sister Judith Marie Udofia, Sisters of the Holy Family, 
sister Kelly Schuster, Salesian sisters um, of Don Bosco, but I guess all Salesians are of Don Bosco, aren't they? N not necessarily, okay, well, uh, um, Sister Mary Elizabeth Salt, sisters of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, and Sean Phillips, free agent, <laughs> with the Marianists. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. We'll see you next time. And that brings us to the end of our broadcast. You've been listening to the radio version of a panel discussion that I hosted live from the National Religious Vocation Conference Convocation in October 2016. You can watch the panel discussion at saltandlighttv.org slash nrvc, and that's also where you can read more about our panelists. You can learn more about the National Religious Vocation Conference at their website nrvc.net, and you should also contact them if you are considering a religious vocation or have questions about religious life. You can find them on Facebook. Just look for National Religious Vocation Conference. They're also on Twitter. Search for NRVC or directly at their website, nrvc.net. You can also find me on Facebook or Twitter, Deacon Pedro. Thank you for lending us your ear today. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. <laughs>